0: morning, church. Good morning. Hey, I wonder how many people in the world would recognize their own thumbprint. You know, if, if somebody said, is this your thumbprint, could you say yes or no? I don't think, I'm sure I couldn't. Now, if you showed me two thumbprints and one was mine and one was Karen's, I could probably pick which one was mine. <laughs> but I have no really idea what my thumbprint looks like. And yet we say that it is the distinguishing mark of my unique identity. And yet I don't even know what it looks like. You know, the thumbprint of the church is written for us in Acts chapter 2. This is what the church is meant to look like. This is the thumbprint of the church, the unique characteristic qualities of the church of Jesus Christ is in Acts chapter two. The context of this passage that we started unpacking last week is that there had just been this massive, unprecedented move of God's Holy Spirit among the new believers. So lots of interesting, strange things were happening. People were speaking in languages they had never learned to the benefit of people of other language groups who were then hearing the gospel and being saved. People were being healed. 3,000 people were being saved a day. It was a remarkable, remarkable time. And so the context of the description of this passage here is in the midst of this unprecedented move of God's Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's read this morning's passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The thumbprint Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, it's your word. We are the sheep of your pasture. This is your church. And so I I pray that you would remove any barrier between yourself and us just clear it out Lord that we might connect with you as our God as our God and Father who provided this marvelous salvation for us through the blood of your son Jesus enliven your word Lord not just so we would get it in our heads but so that we would recognize our own thumbprint Lord as a church in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. This passage that I read for you is our aim. It's our goal. It's our mandate. It's what what we want to be when we grow up, right? And last week we started looking at this passage and have decided that in there there are at least 7 extraordinary qualities of the church that are meant to guide us, and are meant to call us, and are meant to be descriptive of us, so that as the world looks at us, as they look at that church, they would see these seven things. Last week we noticed that these people were worshiping people. They they praised God. They were freely worshiping people. They were not sort of religiously worshiping God, but out of their hearts, they were worshiping him, and there was this authentic kind of flow of praise to God, and so when the people on the outside looked at the people on the inside, they said, those people really praise God. And that's to be a distinguishing mark of God's church, that we would be known as a place that worships God and that we would be known as a people who with our lives bow down to God and worship God with our whole lives. Well, today I want to look at the second distinguishing mark of the first century church, and that's that they were a praying church. They were a praying church in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they were a praying church. And uh, it says here that they were devoted to this, these things. There are four things to which they were particularly devoted. Devoted. They were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. And in the context of this series, we'll get to all of those. Christian and I together, we'll get to all of these things. But today, I really want you to focus on this concept that they were devoted to prayer. Let's do some work with this word devoted. As a word study, the word devoted comes in the original language from a root word, which means to grip, to grip, to hang on. I don't know if any of you fellow bikers have ever been in that situation where something was going wrong fast or seemed to be going wrong fast, and you noticed that your grip had suddenly got life-saving. There are different situations that we face in our lives where it's sometimes it's called a death grip, but it's actually a life grip, isn't it? You're holding on for dear life. We've seen movies where somebody's slipping through the hand of another. The grip... This is, the, this is the basis of this word used here for, to describe that the church was devoted to these things, among them being prayer. That they had a life grip on prayer. It was characteristic of the first century church. They had a life grip, they clung to prayer. This word is used ten times in the New Testament, six times in the book of Acts. I think two of the most notable worth looking at are Acts chapter 1, verse 14, if you want to flip back a page. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That word constant, they joined together constantly. They all gripped onto prayer. The characteristic of the church, if you also want to look up at about Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, when it's talking about when the separation between the elders and the deacons came about in the church and talking about that we needed deacons in the church to take care of a lot of the stuff in the church so the elders could devote themselves to the word and prayer. And there it says, and we'll give our attention, elders, give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And give our attention means, and we will grip. We will be devoted to, to prayer and the ministry of the word. We'll be devoted, will grip, it's our life grip. As elders, as pastors of this church, it is our life grip. We must pray. The rest of the church must work in such a way so that we can pray and give ourselves to the word. That's the call. And the same word is used for us back in Acts chapter 2 that described the relationship that this first century church had with prayer. They were gripping for dear life. And in order for the church to regain its true identity in this Reclaiming Our Identity series, we need to focus on the unwavering commitment and life-giving dependence upon prayer that was a characteristic mark of the church's identity. And in order for the church to regain its true identity, to become the church in the world, to have the world look at the church and go, that's the church, we we need to find our way back to this kind of life-giving dependence and grip on prayer, Throughout history and even in our time, there have been churches, there have been movements that have given themselves to prayer in such a way, and Holy Spirit came to them in such a marvelous way. And amazing things happened as long as they were connecting with the Father in prayer through the blood of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen this again and again throughout history. And so this morning, as we think about prayer, you know, so much, so much, so much can be said about prayer. I, I, I didn't know where to begin. It's, it's been a true mark of our fellowship since the beginning. Sometimes pastors will see what's going on here on this corner and see what God is doing and see the people who are coming. And I've been asked, How, how did you do that? And my answer is always the same we're just a prayer meeting that got out of control. We started in a living room, and we worshiped God, and we opened his word, and we prayed, and we obeyed. And ta-da! This is what you get. So much of this fellowship is just marked by prayer. There have been so many, many, many early morning and many, many, many late night prayer meetings. Some of you leaders in this room will remember when we purchased this property and I brought all the leaders out here, and there was corn growing. And we came in, and we knelt down in the mud, and we prayed. We prayed, God, is this your will? Speak to us. Tell us what you want from us. Some of you will remember when before this building was constructed, we had a circus tent erected out here, and, uh, Pastor Denny, who is now the pastor of the Madison County Vineyard and I, we had taken that ground marking paint. You know, that stuff they use for utilities. And we had figured out the blueprint enough so that everywhere you see in here was marked on the ground with paint, including classrooms and lobby and stuff. And we gave tours, groups at a time. Oh, please come this way. This is the lobby. Sanctuary will be in here, is here. And we met that day as a church and we prayed, we prayed, God, God, what? What do you want? A few of you will remember. Five of you joined Karen and I for 40 days at 5.30 in the morning here and we were still living in Westerville for 40 consecutive days we met here and we walked this property and we asked God, What? What, what do you, this is your house, this is your cornfield. Some of you may or may not know that I once spent a night out here on the property before anything was built in a pup tent. I was fasting and praying for several days and just asking God and I, I spent a night out here and, and I just asked God what and that's when he spoke to me, he said, he said these words I'll never forget, build for me a house of prayer. And I thought, oh, cool, we're going to be like an IHOP, International House of Prayer. We're going to be one of those 24-hour prayer centers. And, and, and as I, my imagination was running ahead, then, what ha- then the, the Lord just spoke to me, and he gave me a picture of a little white building that's called the hiding place out there, that that's our house of prayer. And actually, in reality, you are our house of prayer. We give serious teachings and assign many exercises in prayer in our discipleship training series here. We currently have five prayer gatherings that meet every week. We have two on Sunday, one right in this little room right here, about 20 or quarter till the hour of the service. You are all welcome to come into that room and pray for God's move. That's two. We have one on Tuesday night that Pastor Christian leads at 7 o'clock. That's 3. We have one that I lead on Thursday mornings at 6.15. That's 4. And then we have one, I guess it would be a half, because it meets every other Thursday night, that actually meets here and goes out into the community and prays for the community as God directs them. These are five ready prayer opportunities for you. So much could be said about prayer that I came to the challenge of, uh, so Lord, where do I start and where do I begin? And I didn't know how to develop this message so well, so I, I did something radical. I asked the Thursday morning prayer meeting to pray for me about it. You catch the irony or is it just me? I didn't know how to proceed with a message on prayer since there's so much, and so we prayed, and as the person who typically sits to my left put her hand on my shoulder and prayed, and she prayed something along the line, God, just just remind us or remind them or something like that what prayer is for, and in flooding, the Holy Spirit just came and said, yeah, remind them of that. Why do we pray? What is the... What's the goal of our prayer? Are we trying to wear God down to kind of get him to do some stuff that he's otherwise reluctant to do? Are we trying to get stuff from God? Because if he's God, he's got all the stuff, right? He's got all the toys. He's got all the all the best husbands. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to get from God when we pray? I mean, what's what's at the core of it? Are we trying to get a new car? We're trying to get out of debt. What are we trying to What are we trying to get from God? What's the goal of our prayer? And it couldn't be any more clear in the scriptures. The goal of our prayer is not to get anything from God except God himself. The goal of our prayer, the goal of our prayer life is to have what the Bible calls fellowship with God. Connection with God. And it'll amaze you that when you get to the place of connecting with God in a substantial way in prayer, all the stuff you thought you were praying about matters not anymore. In 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4, the apostle says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. So, He's talking to believers, and he's saying, we'd like for you to join in this fellowship that we have, which is connection, experience with one another. And then he goes on, and he says, oh, and by the way, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We're not asking you to come for jello salad. That's not what fellowship is. We're asking you to join us in joining God. Because our fellowship, he's saying, is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, we write this to make your joy complete. So sometimes when we go to prayer, we go, God, I need you to touch this person. I need you to provide this promotion. I need you to, I understand the nature of that prayer. But we go thinking that if God did the things that are in our minds, then we would have joy. Well, there, that would fix everything. And in reality, what the Bible says is that when we have fellowship with God, irrespective of all the rest, is when we have joy. When we have fellowship with God. So that the very point of our prayers is to connect with God in this meaningful, meaningful way. It is to make a true experiential connection with God. It is being touched by God and touching God And the cool thing about this is, you have all the necessary equipment to do this. Every single one of us as believers has been blessed with the equipment to do this. This isn't like just for the intercessors or for people who are wired that way. This is for everyone that we would have fellowship with God. And so, both as an individual and as a church, our call, our call. Is, is to pray in such a way that we don't stop until we've made that, that connection, that authentic, powerful, experiential connection with God the Father. Is that making sense? Because God's, God's call to prayer is actually an invitation to himself. So much scripture I could be throwing out here about going into the closet and your father who sees what is done in secret, you know, you will reward you. And the reward of the closet with God is God. That's terrifying. There's a terrifying, terrifying scripture in Matthew seven that I refer to every now and then because it's so important for you to know. Is that people came to Jesus and said, hey, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And Jesus would say, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Can you imagine spending your life praying through that massive prayer list that you have created? interceding just every single day, just getting up, getting up, going through the stack of cards or, or, or on your phone or wh- however it is that you try to keep these things in front of you for prayer, all of which is good. But can you imagine spending your life doing that only to hear the Lord say, yeah, but you never came to me. You threw these thoughts in the air but you never came to me. The goal of our prayer is fellowship with God. How then should we pray with the goal of experiencing fellowship with God? Pray rhythmically and pray spontaneously. You read the Bible, anybody? See the rhythms of God, right? I love that Genesis thing, and there was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning. So we have all these rhythms, God's people had rhythms of prayer. In, in uh, Acts chapter 3, the next, the next chapter, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So there are rhythms of prayer. There's times to be disciplined in prayer. But also, there's the other side of it. That's just the time we set aside not to be distracted by other things. There's this spontaneous prayer. And I want to I encourage you, beloved, it's both, and it has to be both. So don't be one of those people who say, well, I don't really have a set prayer time. You know, I just pray when I'm in the shower, pray when I'm on the way to work. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. Pray both. Paul admonished the Thessalonian believers to pray without ceasing. Pray alone and pray with others. Got to get together with others and pray. <laughs> Jesus couldn't be any more clear. If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you, my Father in heaven. But the, the better one is, and if two of you come together in my name, what? Boom, there am I. That's when you accomplish prayer. Pray in times of trouble and pray before times of trouble. It's pretty clear trouble's, trouble's coming, right? I mean, I't I I'm not a pessimistic person, but come on, can we talk? Trouble comes, right? Martin Luther said, my troubles first began the day I became a Christian. (laughs) Troubles come. We'll pray it during times of trouble, of course, but pray when you're not in trouble. Pray when you're feeling it and pray when you're not. Pray according to your best understanding of the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. This is the assurance that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. So understanding the will of God is the front half of praying. How do you do that? Fellowship with him. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. How do we even know what to pray for for this person? Unless we first just have fellowship with God, saying, God, what's going on in this person's life? How do we know whether to pray for the promotion unless we seek God who says, yeah, but I want you here with, those, with your desk mates. I, I'm not done with you here. Or, Bubba, you don't know what's there, and I do. Right? Have any of you ever prayed for something that you wish you hadn't got? Don't look over at him. <laughs> don't on now. Have any of you ever prayed for something you didn't get and then in retrospect went, whew, gl- yeah. how do you avoid that? But by making fellowship with God the point, the front half of your prayer, and then letting his will proceed from that. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Pray naturally. Just pray naturally. Don't get all religious and King James, please. Just pray naturally. I, I love you guys. I love to hear you pray. And, you know, it's. If we pray kind of religiously and think there's special jargon for prayer, I think we're revealing our understanding of our relationship with God. Oh, infinite Jehovah God, we beseech thee by the mercy of That's not how we talk. That's not how we talk. Just pray. Naturally. I have another confession to make, brothers, that probably lose another corner of my man card. Not only do I like going to and Fabrics now, I <laughs> I'm into some of this British TV series, like I know, uh, I've seen all of Downton Abbey and I, I liked it I'm sorry. I, and now Karen has rented Victoria from the library and, we're in season three, yep. <laughs> All about Queen Victoria in the 19th century. And uh, their language is just so formal as it was. And Whenever they leave the Queen, they, they go like this. <laughs> Trouble is, is Karen and I have been watching too much of it, you know, too, so we're starting to talk that way. And, <laughs> Saying stuff like, What's for dinner, my queen? And (laughs) you know, take out the trash, my prince, or whatever, you know. But I haven't quite gotten to the place of going, I'm gonna go to the office now, my queen. And yet, this is a picture of prayer for some people. Hebrews ten says, Let's rush into the presence of God because of what Jesus did for us. Into the holy of holies, he says, Let's go. Pray naturally. The dynamic and power of the first-century church was a church that excelled in worship and a people devoted to prayer. And how will today and this week be different for you because of God's call to prayer? We have to remember something. You know, Christian did such a great job that the work of the cross has been done. It's finished. We're in. Thank you, God. And now there's a life to be lived that does call for effort on our part, yes? So as you think about now, if you want to be swept up in the move of God, are you showing up at places of prayer? Are you showing up in the little room? Yeah. How could it be any more convenient than just to come 15 minutes before the church service and sit with people and ask God to come? Have you, have you found your way? You know, just What is God speaking to you? because here's the thing that as we look at this Acts chapter 2 and this description of the first century church it is not possible to make this church happen this is all a result of the move of God's holy spirit we we can set ourselves to a perspective and we can show up at times that makes sense but we can't make this church happen we can't say now we're going to be that church, but what we can do is we can long for and ask for the move of God's Holy Spirit among us, because this that church is what happens naturally when the Holy Spirit comes. Have you ever been to a conference where the Holy Spirit is moving and it would absolutely describe we, that Acts chapter 2, that you would see God do miraculous things. People would be glad and sincere. They're worshiping God. They're loving each other, right? They're meeting together constantly. If you've ever been in a, one of those amazing moves of God over a period of days, you would see that, that that's, that's what it looks like. So if we want this, if we want this church to look anything like that, It's not about our buckling down and making it happen. It's about inviting Holy Spirit to come and have his full way with us. Making fellowship with God the first aim of our prayer. God that we would know you. I'm gonna ask for any leaders in the room, home group leaders, ministry leaders, Pastors, elders, anybody, leaders in the room to come up, please. Come on. Just make a line across the front here. Come on. Here's where it begins. Here's where it begins. Here's where it begins. Here's where it begins. begins. Would you, would you in your hearts just long for the Holy Spirit with me right now? Would you just long for the Holy Spirit for yourself, for this church, for this community, for this world? Could you just could you just pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit? Empower me for your greatest glory. Could you just pray, God, meet can you meet me here right now? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Could you just stay in that attitude and posture and way of prayer as we advance here? Just stay right where you are, doing right what you're doing. Holy Spirit, come. Now, for those of you who are also in agreement that We must long for the Holy Spirit. We must ask for the Holy Spirit to come and we must open ourselves up for the Holy Spirit. You're in agreement. I want you to come and get behind these leaders. I want you to show them that they're not alone. If you have a longing for God to show himself in the ways that you see in the scriptures, just come on up and stand with these leaders and crowd in a little more we're not going to fit everybody that's just marvelous leaders I just want you to know that you are backed by a crowd a throng of people who want what you want and they want it for you as well as for themselves Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come